Well, our scripture reading today comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. <clears throat> this can be found on page 1028 in your pew Bible. And as always, oh, this feels so good. Back in the saddle, folks. As always, if you don't own a Bible, Christ Community would love for you to take that one home as a gift from us. And I think I get to still say us, right? Okay. So hear now the word of the Lord. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wait, and it will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Paul. You want to just stay up here and preach? <laughs> I'm sure we'd love that. Uh, can we just clap for Paul? I don't think we ever just clapped for him. Uh, thanks for sharing, for being here. Um, many of you know that, that I have known Paul since I was in middle school, so I can attest that there's no one better uh, that we could be supporting in this kind of work. Uh, and it looks like when he left Kansas City, he also left a few extra pounds behind, and I just took those on. Uh, so you look good, too, man. Uh, look really good. Uh, well, my name's Taylor. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my joy to lead us this morning in a time of teaching. Uh, but before we do that, would you pray with me uh, for our time together? Father God, we thank you that you are faithful, that you are faithful and true, that you uh, will never let us down, even when it feels like we might be let down. We know that you are there. We know that you are a rock and a refuge, as we sang that you are steadfast even when the world is shaky. Um, and God, right now, this morning, as we begin this series in Revelation, uh, my prayer more than anything is that we would see you in all of your glory and that that would outshine everything else that is going on around us in our world today. That more than anything, that you would be the focus of our lives and that we would see you in all of your glory even as you were raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of our Father. We pray this now in the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of his spirit. Amen. Well, we have uh, probably never had more things uh, to disagree about in our world, right? There are a lot of things to disagree about right now. Uh, if you just get on Facebook, uh, you'll probably find someone pretty quickly uh, that sees things a little bit differently than you see things. But in a world of division, I think that I have figured out uh, the one thing that we can all agree on, uh, and that's this, that 2020 uh, is the apocalypse. Can we all just agree on that? 2020 is probably the apocalypse. I mean, the signs have been there the whole time, right? I was looking back this week at, at all the things that, that have happened this year, uh, and I just can't believe that I didn't see it coming, frankly. I mean, first, uh, Harry and Meghan stepped down from Buckingham Palace. 
Remember that? Uh, that should have been our first clue, I think, that, that uh, the world was, was ending. Uh, and then uh, many of you remember in February that the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, uh, which was, was great. That, I'm just saying that happened this year. Uh, and for those of you who said, I might never see it, I don't know, we're seeing it now. Uh, and then, and this is the one that just gets me, uh, that this happened this year. Uh, there was Tiger King. Um, and for me, if it's that easy to accumulate a horde of tigers, uh, the end has to be near, right? It, it, just, it just has to be. And you just throw on top of that uh, killer wasps uh, and a global pandemic, and to cap it all off, it looks like a meteor is poised to hit the earth uh, the day before the election. Have you seen those reports? Um, I mean, you couldn't script it any better, right? Now, this is clearly all uh, a bit tongue-in-cheek, uh, but for many of us, it feels like everything that could go wrong this year has. Like, honestly, there are moments these last few months where I've either wondered if it was the end or prayed that it would be. Maybe some of you are with me. Because we're in a hard place. Like, our cities are, are literally burning. There are increasing racial tensions, political division. People have, have lost jobs. Our economy looks like it's, it's receding. People are dying, and this pandemic continues to affect millions of people. Hate and vitriol and cynicism have continued to take root in American hearts. And I'm not saying this to be, to be alarmist, or you'll see later, or to say that there's nothing good going on, um, but only to give us the opportunity to really lean into everything that has happened this last nine months. Well, what do we do in a moment like this? Well, believe it or not, uh, we actually planned to preach an overview of the book of Revelation this fall. Uh, and we made these plans two years ago to, to take this fall to study Revelation. And little did we know uh, when, what would be happening while we were preaching it. Now, some of you hear that we're doing a series on Revelation, and I can already see you, you're like grabbing your Bibles, you're going to the back trying to find the, all the charts uh, that, that you've accumulated and the maps, and you're like, finally, I can't wait to hear who Bill and Taylor think the beast is. Um, it, I'm really excited for this. Uh, and if that's you, I love the enthusiasm. Uh, we're not quite going there, but I, I do have, have a few ideas, so we can chat about that later. Um, and some of you hear that, and you're like, you know, is it too late to text bummer uh, and, and cancel my reservation for this service? <laughs> like, I don't know, is this really what we need in the middle of everything going on, a series on the apocalypse? But if I can be honest, I think it absolutely is. Like, sure, Revelation is one of the most bizarre books in the Bible, but I think it's also one of the most beautiful and hope-filled books that we have. Because the word revelation uh, comes from verse 1, which is the Greek word apocalypsis. That's where we, if you can see the similarities, that's where we get the word apocalypse. And apocalypsis simply means revealing. So when we talk about our apocalypse, we talk about this book being first and foremost a revealing of something. In other words, God is revealing something in Revelation. You could think of maybe a curtain being pulled back, like, like in The Wizard of Oz, only instead of uh, uh, an insecure little man being revealed behind the curtain, uh, God is revealing the, unveiling the reality behind all things past, present, and future. And so, in many ways, Revelation is a heavenly perspective on, on what has been started in Jesus. And ultimately, that's what John's apocalypse is revealing. John's apocalypse is revealing Jesus. It's revealing the fact that the unfolding of human history is all bound up in this one person. 
The revelation is revealing to us who Jesus is and the significance of what he's done, what he is doing now, and what he will do in the future. And here's the thing. I think that if we get past the baggage that that many of us have with Revelation and really understand what is being revealed about Jesus, this book is exactly what we need right now. Because I believe that it has the power to awaken areas of our life and our faith that have fallen dormant. I think it has the power to breathe new life into our weary bones. I think it has the power to convict us in our inner depths in a way that leads us to live a life of conviction. I think it has the power to embolden us to resist the powers that are at work in our age and hold on to the hope of Jesus. The book of Revelation is one of the the greatest insights we have into what God wants to do today in his church and in the future in his kingdom. And it all starts, as we're going to see this morning, for seeing Jesus for who he really is. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to have some time this morning to see in these first eight verses of Revelation, in, in the prologue, the introduction, how John, the apostle, reveals Jesus, who he reveals him to be. So let's keep reading. If you don't have the Bible out already, I, I invite you to join me in, in Revelation 1. Uh, and let's read, starting in, in verse 4. See how John begins to reveal Jesus. It says, John, to the seven churches in Asia, grace and peace to you from the one who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. So John begins by addressing his primary audience, which are, are these seven churches in Asia. Uh, and Asia, uh, if you remember from, if you were with us when we did a series a year ago on, on the seven churches of Revelation, uh, these churches, that Asia, that's not the Asia we know today, uh, but Asia Minor, uh, which is modern-day Turkey. Uh, but back then it was known as, as, as Asia. And so John is writing to seven real historical churches uh, in modern-day Turkey. Uh, these are real churches. He's writing to them. They were circulating the letter that he wrote to, to one another. Um, but they are also, we see, representative of, of the church as a whole. So when John writes to these churches, he's also writing to us as a church. And in his greeting to, to these churches, John introduces Jesus with this word. He, he calls him the faithful witness. I guess it's more of a phrase, the faithful witness. Now, what, is, what does he mean by that? What does he mean that Jesus is a faithful witness? Well, if you're a witness, uh, you, that means that you have seen or experienced something, and because of what you saw or experienced, you, you go and you tell others about it. So if you uh, see today in the legal system, if you see a car accident or, or a crime, uh, our legal system will say that, that you are a witness. So your job is to, to tell others what you saw uh, and how it happened from your perspective. And in the, in the original Hebrew and Greek, the words for witness carried a very similar legal sense uh, of the, that we understand it as today. But we also use that same concept uh, of other things that we see or experience. Uh, so I, I have been a, a lifelong Royals fan, a lifelong long-suffering Royals fan. Uh, and I grew up uh, traveling from my home in central Kansas with my family and my, my grandma and my grandpa. And we would come up here uh, to Kansas City and go to games uh, at the K. 
And in 2014, uh, a couple of friends from college and I ended up impulsively buying tickets uh, to the wild card game the Royals had with the A's. And this is my proof of an Instagram post I did, so I was there. Uh, and and uh, many of you remember this game probably. Uh, if you remember it, it was a long extra inning game. The Royals were, were down pretty late and then rallied to come back in the eighth and ninth inning. Uh, and, and eventually it went like 14 innings maybe, and they won on a, on a, an, a walk-off hit. Their first playoff game in 29 years. It was an amazing game, and I can say that I was there to see it. And what I got to do then was I got to go home, and I got to tell others about it. I got to tell others how fun it was to be there, uh, how electric the atmosphere was, how much fight the, the team had. I was a witness to that playoff win. We do the same things with, with products that we try that work wonders for us. You know, we experience it and, and we share it with others so that they can see just how great it is for themselves. That's what it means to be a witness. You see something, you tell others about it. And when we talk about Jesus being a witness, when John uses that word here, he's, he's talking about a very similar thing. So the question then becomes, to what was Jesus witnessing? What, what was Jesus witnessing to? And if you read the Gospels, the four historical accounts of the life of Jesus that we have, it becomes pretty clear that Jesus was witnessing to a new creation that was breaking into the world through God's kingdom. Everything that he did was a witness to this new creation that was breaking into the world through God's kingdom. So when you read the Gospels, whenever Jesus healed someone, he was witnessing to new creation breaking in. Uh, whenever he performed miracles, he was witnessing to what God was doing in him. Whenever he, he spoke in, in parables, he was witnessing to what it was like when God had his way. Everything he did was, was witnessing to his father and what his father was doing in him. Now, here's, here's why this is so important. When you witness to something, there's a question that you eventually have to ask, and that's this. How far will my faithfulness go? Like, how long will I go on witnessing to this thing? And what will it take to stop me from witnessing to this thing? So if I am an, a witness to, to the Kansas City Royals, uh, and I'm telling everyone how great they are as a team, will my faithfulness to the Royals endure 29 years without a playoff win? Will my faithfulness make it through a, a year with three different managers, which, which happened? Uh, will it endure consecutive losing seasons? How far will my faithfulness go? And throughout the history of God's people, that has been the question. There's a pattern that we see over and over and over again in Scripture of God raising up a person who makes us ask, how far will their faithfulness go? Like, is this the one who will finally be faithful? And with every single one, we see moments where their faithfulness falters. Their witness fails. And when Jesus comes on the scene in the Gospels, it, it causes us to ask the same question. Is this the one? How far will his faithfulness go? And it turns out that his faithfulness goes, goes pretty dang far. See, the first thing revealed about Jesus in Revelation 1 is this. That Jesus is the one who perseveres. Jesus is the one who perseveres. Because you notice, John doesn't just call Jesus a witness, uh, or even a faithful witness, but the faithful witness. Because where everyone else failed, Jesus persevered in his witness to God. 
He resisted the temptation of Satan in the wilderness, and he didn't stop witnessing. He he absorbed the scorn of the religious leaders, and he didn't stop witnessing. He endured to the point of shedding his blood, and to the very end, he was faithful to who God is and what he was doing in and through him. Jesus is the one who perseveres in his faithful witness. So for us, that means that we need to cling to him. We need to cling to him. See, it's not just random that John is is accentuating this this aspect of Jesus' life here in Revelation 1, because John is writing uh, to seven beleaguered and suffering churches. If you read on in Revelation 2 and 3, uh, you'll see just how beleaguered and, and, and how much suffering is going on in these churches. The churches who received Revelation, they were facing tremendous pressure to, to compromise their witness and their faith. They were persecuted, they were suffering, some were being killed. I mean, in, in many, many ways, they were in a tougher place than we are right now. So John reveals Jesus as the one who perseveres so that a beleaguered church can cling to him when they have a hard time doing the same. So friends, if you're weary, if you're tempted to compromise your witness to God, if you have a hard time enduring in today's social climate, if you're in a place where you say you would say that things look pretty bleak for God's church, I encourage you to cling to the one who perseveres. He has persevered. He will persevere. So cling to him. John goes on uh, in verse 5 to, to complete his, his depiction of Jesus here in, in the second half of verse 5, actually. So will you read this with me? And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, all right, we just talked about that, and the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. So right now, I want to focus on the phrase firstborn of the dead. Uh, the, the idea behind that title uh, for Jesus and John using that to describe him goes like this, uh, that after three days of being dead, we believe as, as Christians, uh, with, with his body decaying in the tomb, that God raised Jesus uh, bodily to new life. That is what Christians have historically called the the resurrection. But this resurrection of Jesus, uh, it did more than make Jesus alive. Uh, It did that. Uh, But it also functioned as a sort of of a promise. In other words, because Jesus was raised to to a new kind of life uh, and a new kind of body that that can never die again, one day we too will be raised to a new kind of life and a new kind of body that, that can never die again. That Jesus was the firstborn from the dead means that he was the first of what will be many people who were dead, but now are raised to life for others. So in other words, Jesus' resurrection guarantees ours. And as the Apostle Paul will argue in in 1 Corinthians, uh, if that didn't happen, we have no hope. The phrase also shows that, that, that when Jesus was raised from the dead, this era of new creation that he had been witnessing to uh, had finally begun. That the reign of Jesus as the king was, was started when he was raised from the dead. Which is why John pairs these two things together. He calls him the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Because he defeated death, Jesus now reigns in power and is ruler over the entire world. Now all of that is just to say this. That Jesus is the one who conquers. Jesus is the one who conquers. 
A key word in understanding the book of Revelation is the Greek word nikao. Uh, it's where we get the word, the word Nike, uh, or the, the brand Nike, I guess. Uh, and the word nikao just means to overcome. And it's used a lot to describe Jesus, that when Jesus rose from the grave, he overcame the forces of death and evil in the world. And by defeating death, he ushered in an age of new life. It could be said that, that he sort of initiated a ripple effect of life coming out of death. That as conquering king, Jesus, he's in the business of bringing life from death. In his kingdom, the mode of operation is new life, new creation, renewal. And because he overcame, uh, that means that we will also overcome. That's the message of Revelation. Now friends, this is such good news in a time where death, both literal and figurative death and evil, seem to be winning. I think many of us have, have probably had conversations like, is, is, is evil winning right now? Like, where is, is God? So we need to cling to this good news. Uh, a few months ago, uh, in March, I uh, lost one of my aunts. Uh, and it wasn't COVID-related. Her name was Sherry. I think I have a picture up there. It wasn't to the virus, uh, but of a sudden stroke. Uh, but she was a healthy person, active in her community. Uh, she preached regularly in her church. She was the one who would always send us a, a card for our birthdays and anniversaries, just super thoughtful and kind. Uh, and, and just like that, she was gone. And it was so weird. I, some of you have, have experienced this. It was so weird to suffer through something like that in the midst of a lockdown and pandemic. Because we, we couldn't have a funeral. We couldn't gather together as family. Like, honestly, to me, it didn't really feel like it even actually happened. There wasn't any closure. But as I was processing the strangeness of it all and grieving the loss, I felt like God reminded me what I needed to hear in that moment. That we both knew the one who defeated death. Like there actually is closure because we knew the one who defeated death. It doesn't have the final say. One day we will be raised together again with Christ. We will see each other again. We will rule together with him. And friends, let that be an encouragement to you this morning. That if you know Jesus, the one who conquered death and reigns in life, you are conquerors with him. That is the message of Revelation. Jesus is the one who conquers. So align with him. So align with him. Align with his rule. After sending his greetings in verses 4 and 5, John breaks out kind of spontaneously into a beautiful song and phrase of worship in verse 6. He says this, he says, To him who loves us and who has set us free from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Among other things in this, this short uh, song of worship, John praises the conquering king, Jesus, for, for making us into a kingdom. He says he made us into a kingdom. And what that means for us is that we are a people, if we are united to Jesus, who live today by the way of the new creation. That we are people who join God in doing what he wants done in the world. That we are people who today, right now, in 2020, are loyal to their true king above every other earthly kingdom there is. And if that's true, that means that as his people, we need to make sure that we are aligned with him above all else. That is one of the main points of the book of Revelation, and we'll see this again and again and again as we go throughout this series. 
is that John wants to encourage the church to stay loyal in their allegiance to Jesus above all else. And friends, we need this in our cultural moment. Because we live in a time where our allegiance is being tested. Where there are so many things, political parties, people, ideologies, nations, corporations, all of these things that are vying for our primary allegiance. That are pressuring us, as we'll continue to see in later weeks, to compromise our faithfulness to Jesus. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you are under a different kingdom. With a different power. With a different set of values. With power that looks totally different than the power that is exercised in this world. With a king who is stronger and kinder than any ruler that we have ever seen. Jesus is the one who conquers and reigns. So church, please make sure that you are aligned with him. And again, we're going to talk about how to make sure that you are aligned with him in the coming weeks. He's the one who conquers, so align with him. Let's move on and look at how John closes this section, starting in verse 7. He says, Look, or behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who, who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him, so it is to be. Amen. And in verse 8, I'll read this too. I'm the Alpha and Omega that says the Lord God, the one who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. So John ends this, this section, this introduction, by highlighting the fact that Jesus is coming. That Jesus is coming. And this, this quotation, if you, some of your Bibles might have it indented a little bit, uh, that shows that he's quoting another book of the Bible, uh, the book of Daniel, which is the other apocalyptic book that we have in our Bibles. And in Daniel chapter 7, uh, the, the author is anticipating with this phrase that the day when, when God will send who is called the Son of Man, and that's a title that Jesus assumed for himself a lot in, in the Gospels, but it anticipated that God would send a Son of Man who we know as the Messiah, the, the long-awaited King of Israel, and he would send him to judge the world, to eradicate all evil and restore God's people. This passage in Daniel 7 that John's quoting was an anticipation of the final work of judgment and deliverance and new creation that God had promised would come with his kingdom. So by quoting this, John is saying this, that Jesus is the one who comes. Not even say who comes near. Jesus is this son of man person that Daniel expected. He's the one who comes. He came to earth the first time when he took on flesh. He continues to come to earth to visit his people and continue the work of redemption today. And one day he will come once and for all to judge the world and to vindicate his people. Jesus is coming. And when he comes, he will make all things new. That's the message of Revelation. He will make all things new. He will undo all that is evil. He will replace all that has been lost. He will restore everything that is broken. He will heal all that is wounded. He will make right all that is wrong. And he will be victorious over shame and death and sorrow. Because friends, ultimately the story of Revelation is simple. And it's this, that Jesus wins. And there's nothing that can stop him. Nothing. Not a pandemic. No one person coming to political power. Nothing can stop Jesus from winning. And we need that hope. 
Because Jesus is coming. So watch for him. So watch for him. I can't tell you the amount of times that I've asked the question, why isn't God here over the course of these last few months? Like, why, why isn't God here? But I think a better question that I've been trying to train myself to ask is, where is God now? Not why isn't God here, but, but where is God? Maybe I can't see it. But what is he doing? Where is he right now in your life in the middle of everything that's going on? Where is he at work? What's he trying to do? Even when it feels like he's distant, how can you train yourself to notice his presence with you day to day? If we believe that Jesus is coming, we need to watch for him to come near now. To bring redemption now. To move in power now. To store renewal and revival in the world and the church now. Watch for him. And watch for his second, his final coming too. Now that doesn't mean try to predict when and how it will happen. That's not what what it means to watch for him. But the way that, that Jesus describes it is to be alert. To live a life of readiness. A life of faithfulness and loyalty. Because I will give one spoiler alert uh, for uh, what we believe, and that is that we are in the end times. Now, whoa, like step back, what do you mean? Jesus actually said that when he came, he ushered in the end of the age. Now, it's been going on for a while. um, But we are in the end times, which is why the gospel, or the, 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 the writers, the epistles, and the letters that come after the gospel say over and over and over again, he's coming soon. He's coming near. The time is soon. And all of that means is to be be alert and ready and to live a life that is faithful and loyal to your king because he is coming soon. That's the message of Revelation. And again, we're going to unpack what that looks like more in the coming weeks. But John reveals Jesus as the one who comes. So be on the lookout for him now and in the future. Now, some of this, this, this that we've been talking about and these revelations about Jesus, they might uh, have you asking the question, what does this have to do with me today, though? <laughs> like, how does this help our church today in, in 2020 in, in a year of so much pain and confusion and frustration and, and division? How does this help me? And I think the answer is closely tied uh, to the end of The Lord of the Rings. And you probably saw that coming from a mile away, Right. In the last book of the trilogy, The Return of the King, uh, Frodo and Sam, who are the main protagonists, are successful in destroying a ring uh, that ends up defeating the evil power of the Dark Lord Sauron. It's it's thwarted, it's done, it's put away. I know, know, spoiler alert, right? Like, if you haven't watched it, um, sorry, it's been out for a long time, Uh, but... You know, so that's the spoiler, uh, they win. Uh, and, uh, but at the end, uh, after all of this has happened, there's a scene uh, where Sam is talking to Gandalf, who's like the great wizard and the sort of redemptive Jesus-y figure of the story. And this is what Sam says to Gandalf. I love this. He says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? I think Sam's question is one of the most deeply human questions we have. It's a question that I've asked a lot. I think all of us are asking this question in some way. Is everything sad ever going to come untrue? And friends, the resounding answer of Revelation is this. That Jesus is the one who makes everything 
sad, untrue. Jesus is the one who makes everything sad, untrue. Because he has persevered, it is possible for us. That because he has conquered, evil doesn't have the final say. And because he is coming, all things will be made new. And that's why we're calling this series in Revelation, Everything Sad, Untrue. Because John ultimately reveals Jesus as the one who makes everything sad, untrue. And what that means for us is that we have to hope in him. We have to hope in him. As we close, I just invite you to take a moment and and, and just reflect. To quiet your heart maybe and, and actually think and reflect on your life and ask yourself this question. What do you long for when things look bleak? What do you look for? Who do you trust when life feels insecure? Where do you place your hope when life feels hopeless? What do you long for when it looks like things aren't going your way? And can I make a case for Jesus? For Jesus, the one who persevered? For Jesus, the one who conquered death? For Jesus, the one who is coming? For Jesus, whose whose triumphant voice makes the shadows depart? For Jesus, whose wounded hands will one day wipe the tears out of your eyes? Friends, Jesus will make everything sad untrue. And he's already doing it. Are you with him? Are you with him? I think Gandalf's response to Sam is so beautiful and powerful. And I think it is such a pure picture of what the new creation will look like as we see it in Revelation when it's fully here. Here's how, how that, that, that scene ends. So Sam asks, is everything sad coming untrue? What's happened to the world? A great shadow has departed, said Gandalf. And then he laughed. And the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter, the pure sound of merriment for days upon days without count. Friends, may we hold on to Jesus until we see that day that is eradicated of sadness and filled with laughter. Let's pray. Jesus, sometimes it's hard to see you. It's hard to understand what you're doing. I can struggle often to to grasp the significance of, of what's going on in our world. And God, I pray that you would give each of us the hope and the conviction, and the joy that comes from knowing that you have conquered, that you are overcoming the evil in this world, and that one day we will be with you, that your presence, there will be nothing separating us from you, from your presence. It will flood this earth. You will build a new creation, a new kingdom, where evil and sadness and death and pain and sickness have no more say. Where a shadow has departed and been cast out, God, help us to see a vision of that now. To lean on that, to rely on that for energy to live. And to use that as motivation to join what you're doing today. Please come and stir revival in our world. We desperately need you in your presence. Pray this in the name of your son. 
in the name of the one who makes everything sad and true, and by the power of his spirit who is with us and empowering us. Amen.